0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good morning, Ned. Ciao, Davide. Where are you? I'm at the Giro d'Italia. I know that. You say that every day, so what's new? Sono stanco. Ma? Excitato. In an overly ambitious attempt to never stray Farfalle from the daily goings-on of this year's Giro d'Italia, Ned Balti and I will be speaking every morning to recap the goings-on of the day before. I'm David Miller. And I'll be hosting the show from the comfort of my home in Girona.
1: And I'm Ned Bolting. And this is what I laughably call a profession. How's Italy? It's all right, David. Um, it's actually looking and feeling very much like France today, because um, late on yesterday evening, when we drove from the finish line in Novara to today's finish line, uh we're we're still in Piedmont, by by the way um we ended up in a in a hotel uh what's it called the hotel i actually can't remember i don't even know why i'm trying to remember
0: um but it looks like it's got like a kind of movie theme that looks like an old kind of reel of oh yeah film well, I hadn't realised oh, that until you pointed out. You're just looking over my shoulder. No That's more right. Cinquecento door. No more Cinquecento no, door. That's gone. Real.
1: That's a couple of hotels um in the past already. I can see the, the I think it's the Asti Hills uh, just outside my window. But mostly I can see an industrial estate, to be perfectly honest, David. Standard. There's a, there's a, um. Uh, what appears to be, looking out the window. Now there's a, um. there is a uh, porcelain, uh, you know, what do you call it? A tile shop. You know, mm, um, yeah, for t- tiles, exactly there's that kind of thing. I think there's come some sort of car showroom. And, um, there was a, there's a German supermarket chain called Penny Um, and I was quite excited when we arrived yesterday to see that, uh, there was a branch of Penny here. And so I, uh, instead of eating in the, with the communal dinner that is laid on for RCS employees, which is always a bit painful to be honest, I actually just went and got some salami and, um, a, uh, a, a, you know, a bit of stale bread. I I'm, I'm really can feel your fatigue yeah, today. A little bit, I'm a little bit tired, but I've made myself a cup of tea. So I bought a kettle. Did I tell you that? I bought a kettle. You did tell me that. I'm just, I'm not, I, we've already got to stage. I'm just repeating stuff. Stage,
0: stage yeah. three. Well, we've done two. I know. Well, yeah, stage so
1: three. we hadn't really solved that conundrum of whether this is stage two or stage three, really, have we? So I, I, I came up with a... Actually, I did think about that a little bit, David, because... We discussed it on yesterday's pod. Was yesterday's stage one or stage two pod? And I think people had, I think you and I slightly disagreed, but you very kindly went Mm. with my suggestion. Uh, But I'm not convinced mine was right. So my potential solution was to call this pod 2.5.
0: So we're kind of playing catch-up now, so we can get back to... Well, we just position it in the middle.
1: It's 2.5. Oh, that's, uh, I see what you mean it is. It's, just, it's two and a half. Two and a half. So it's a bit
0: about yesterday oh. and a
1: bit about today.
0: <laughs> okay. crazy. That makes total sense. I'm happy with that. All right. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so tell me about your... Uh, let's start with how your day started yesterday, Ned, considering we're on a bit of a Ned's tour of Italy here. What did you do to start the day yesterday? Well, I did a podcast with you, David. Um, well, I know that bit. I know we know that, but that then that was before the day started. That was, that was still f- day so eight. early; it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, I did yeah. a
1: podcast with you, um, and then I um, then I hung up on that and sent you my audio file so to speak for you to edit. You're doing all the editing. And um, all that. Um, and then I put my running shorts on and I went for a run. And yesterday in Novara, as I think I told you in the podcast, we were surrounded, very flat bit of Piedmont, and we were surrounded by rice uh, paddy fields, which is something I'd never seen before, actually. I kind of didn't, weirdly... I didn't really know they were a European phenomenon. I mean, obviously, uh, rice has been cultivated in Europe for a long time. I just, I just didn't know it was grown in Piedmont. Um, and I've certainly mm. never, I haven't been to the Far East very often, so I've never seen paddy fields before. Um, so it was a very flat run and it was very, um, uh, what, what's the word? It, it was kind of like out 90 degree turn. Left 90 degree turn because I was going around kind of quadrants because they're all laid out in, like in Minecraft. Sort of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was a Minecraft run. Um, uh, <laughs> and on to the, my left and my right, each time it's kind of, I was walking, I was running along the dikes sort of thing that separate all these, these fields. And I was kind of marveling at the irrigation network and the system of sluices and canals that actually keeps mm. these paddy fields topped up and failing to understand them completely because how well, can we've had. The- it's, it's Italians, they're really good at it, at making water flow. But how do you make water flow constantly downhill? Because that's the only way it, flo- it never flows uphill. How do you make water flow downhill all the time on a well, completely flat well, landscape? It's kind of magic. Well, to so- remember,
0: okay, I'm going to take you back to um, briefly, because well, I was actually immediately straightened far, and I apologise to our listeners, is when we were in Provence at the Tour de France a couple of years ago, and we were bamboozled, by the aqueducts, um, near Nîmes, and the fact that it had to do that detour of like sixty kilometers, and what did it have? Some average of like two centimeters or three centimeters? It dropped like oh, every yeah, 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 five hundred meters, or just or it- was going to be. I'm just, I'm just floating facts there, but <laughs> it was, but it was. We were just in awe of the fact. So I guess they do the same. They're just really good at just measuring really tiny increments of descent because I guess it doesn't need much, does it? As long as they keep it clear, any amount of
1: downhill is anyway. enough. I suppose you're right. Any amount of downhill is enough.
0: Anyma, I mean, any amount. It's yeah. gravity. Yeah, it's
1: Earth. That is. Um, so. But the, the 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 low light of my run yesterday was, and I want to appeal to our the ornithologists amongst our listeners here, because um, there were some very specific birds that I've completely failed to Google. Um, but they were kind of uh, they they about the size of a magpie, or maybe a little bit bigger than a magpie, a little bit smaller than a gull. Quite delicate, black and white birds. So, so mostly black wings, but with a kind of white belly, I think. Um, and they were clearly nesting in the in the banking of these uh, these kind of k- k- canals, for want of a better word. And as I ran past, I noticed that they were getting incredibly agitated every time I came close. Um, the the parents, I think, were trying to warn me away from their nests. And they had a very distinctive call. It was a kind of. <laughs> kind of cool and um one of them in particular started attacking me uh very sharp beak and it started sort of dive bombing me and um if you'd seen me david <laughs> i was literally yes. all on my own in a flat piedmont landscape surrounded by paddy fields running away from a very small
0: bird <laughs> ned was any of these and what have you googled what have you googled what was your Google search? Black and white, black and white attacking birds. That second Italy.
1: one. What's that second one? Might
0: be that. Uh, that's a magpie. Oh, boy. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, no, I don't I know. Think it, it could have just been an Italian type of magpie. Could have been. Had a very, very sharp, through. slightly curved
1: beak. So if anyone knows, the, the black and white, quite vicious, uh, well, or just, you know, very protective of their young birds of Piemont with very sharp beaks who attack British runners.
0: Uh, I'd well, like that's to good, Ned. Yeah. Um, so now we've gone down the pod. You've had your run. Yep. Now you get to the race, and, and oh yeah, there was a race. It was quite. It was quite um, a moving stage yesterday, wasn't it? Not since the actual momentum inertia, but the actual memory of uh, Walter Wayland.
1: Well, we. I mean, actually, you know, ever since the this Giro's got underway, it's been a succession of um, of anniversaries. We spoke about the the 160 years of the uh, Italian Kingdom. We spoke about 90 years of the Malia Rosa. Um, there was another anniversary yesterday. It was 75 years since the uh, last king of Italy, Umberto II, uh, was the May King was ascended to the throne. And it was also David um, yesterday. 10 years since the death of Walter Wayland on the um, on the Giro d'Italia in 2011 on May the 9th, and um, the the race. Uh, Observed a, a minute silence before they rolled out from Stupinigi yesterday with all the jersey wearers, including uh, Filippo Ganna in the Malia Rosa at the front. Uh, Ganna clearly knew exactly—just you could tell by um, his kind of demeanour on the front—why the minute silence was being observed. Even though ten years ago he was a teenager, you know, he was thirteen, fourteen years old, um, and uh, and it was a genuinely it was a genuinely moving affair. But I mean. I have to ask you, uh, were you aware yesterday that it was, it was 10 years since, um, you were on the race and you were in a very particular position on that day?
0: Uh, no, I wasn't, um, from totally honest until I started seeing it on social media and articles popping up and it, it's not, uh, thankfully, um, it's not something that I try to remember there's something that's embedded i can never forget it because obviously i was in the leader's jersey that day um or took it the day that he died um and then there was my responsible responsibility to lead the peloton on today actually it would have been which would have been that year the the 80th anniversary of the pink jersey so it was a really weird couple of days for me you know it's a really weird couple of days for the whole race and walter wayland and his his family and his sisters kind of been on the on and off in touch in the years past. And I think since I wrote my book and I wrote a piece, the whole chapter on this event itself. And I think she got in touch after that as well. So it's something that's, yes. I don't really have words for it, to be honest with you, because it was just something that that happens that you don't want anybody to experience. And the whole Peloton, I think, I think it was one of the, the times the Peloton was most touched and, and unified ever really that day, the next day when we rode, um, because he was such a, a liked character, and we had his best friend in our team as well, and Tyler Farrar, so it really hit home with us more so because we had a we knew that he was best friends with him. They they lived and shared off bike times in Ghent, and um, so yeah, so it was just a uh, poignant, let's say.
1: David, for for those who don't know the story, just explain what happened the following day in terms of the race and your involvement in in how the peloton mm. sort of behaved collectively the following day. It's, so when something.
0: It doesn't really happen, but um, and for that reason, we didn't really know what to do. And the evening uh, of the day that Walter uh, died, um, I'd been given a pink jersey, and all of a sudden, that became I became the representative for the riders. It's it's quite a phenomenal thing, and I guess it was a combination of things. It wasn't as if I was a neo pro; I was pretty late in my career and was outspoken with the media. So I had a, I think the peloton was quite relieved that it was me. But it did mean that we didn't know how to ride. There was all this talk of strike, just not striking, not racing the next day, um, or what are we going to do? Are we just going to do part of it? Or And so eventually I, I couldn't sleep that night, obviously, because I was so just wondering what to do. And I woke up in the morning and I suddenly, and I went to breakfast and I still remember this. And I, and I was embarrassed. I didn't know whether I was supposed to take control or anything. And because it was... I was just overwhelmed with everything that was going on. I I'd, I'd stayed with Tyler in his room most of the evening, making sure he could sleep. So I had kind of stayed with him and looked after him. And when I went to breakfast the next morning, it was, we were about eight, six teams in our hotel, I guess. And then riders just kept came, coming up to me and patting me on the back and shaking my hand. But not in congratulations for the for the previous day, but just as a, you've got this. Like, you, you know what to do. We'll follow whatever your lead is. And my kind of insecurity of not and not sleeping all through the night of wondering what to do was then bolstered and i and I felt my kind of i started to s- sit up slightly straighter in my chair and not hide from everybody and so then I made the decision I went to my room, got my pink jersey, and went down to the team bus and just sat there waited to go and When I got there, I went to where the directors sportifs were having their big meeting, trying to decide what to do. And I still remember this, this was amazing. And it was, you're going in there was so noisy because everyone was just trying to figure out what to do. S- certain writers were saying this press was saying this. There was obviously a lot of uproar about how it'd be handled as well. The danger of the descent and different things. And the moment I walked in, the whole place went silent and uh, they just looked at me and some, I could hear like Maglia Rosa, Maglia Rosa. And that's it it had that whisper around the whole room. And, and I saw Marovegni and, uh, I went and spoke to him because he was the technical director at the time. And then a couple of other guys, and I said, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to ride today. And every single team, says, I think it was actually 220 kilometers that day stage, and we're 22 teams. I said, we'll do 10 Ks each in, in reverse order of the GC. So the last team on GC will do the first 10 Ks, and then we'll just do that at 10 Ks, and everyone rides through, and we'll just keep the momentum up. And that's how we'll ride, him. we're not going to do a procession. We'll ride with discipline and we'll ride with authority and respect and and that's what we did and it was a and it was a very and then with two k's to go we let um uh it was leopard was the team that he was on drift off the front and with tyler went and joined them and so it was tyler and and that that team and tyler was just an uncontrollable emotional mess rightfully so and i still regret one of my biggest regrets from that day is there weren't was when I crossed the line, I was so tired from the previous day, the previous night, not sleeping, the stress of that day, and I just wanted to hide. So I got across the finish line and just went straight into where the podium is and didn't go and see Tyler. And Tyler had just broken down completely, and I was one of his best friends at the time and had stayed with him the whole night before. But I didn't want to go and see him and kind of hug him in in public because I thought I'd break down. I thought it was just I felt that I was being very British and I didn't want to show emotion. And that's still one of my biggest regrets that I didn't just go and look after him because I was a kind of a big brother to him. But uh, yeah, so it was a pretty powerful day. And it's um, one, as I said, I don't need to to kind of commemorate because it's always there.
1: Oh, Amazing stuff, David. Um, did you watch yesterday's stage?
0: I did. Again, with Archibald, we watched the well, final... Well, well done. T- I- <laughs> I know. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. Yeah, well, no, I, I, I had the privilege of dipping uh, in and out. Ned. I, 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 watched, it on I watched all cases. of
1: yesterday's stage, David, and I watched it without commentary. Um, <laughs> you know that thing? I, 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 was, thinking, I, t- I was reminded of your observation. I think you made it a few years ago. You know, I, yeah. me and me and Ned, we watch we watch cycling without commentary. <laughs> <laughs> It's really hard. It's really hard. <laughs> you, ever,
0: you ever tried to speak through a whole bike race? Oh. I did that because it, like, I turned on 125 k's to go, and I was like, "Ooh."
1: <laughs> and it was, um, and,
0: but then I, then my my six my six um sense came in because then I, I turned it on, uh, I turned it on a, a, a little while later, well, probably about three hours later, and I actually called it. A, how many k's is it oh no he said how many k's to go and I called out oh, probably about 20 mm-hmm. and it came on and they were going under the 20 banner Aww, and I was like yes yeah. and then I went away and waited for 5 k's to go <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's always a bit of a point in a bike race isn't it especially a stage like that and when we're commentating yeah. you have to go quite often our, 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 our producer director will come in our ears and go 20 k to go Go on give us a new in <laughs> you have to go, you really? 20 kilometres to go, you know, like that. Uh, yeah, uh, forgetting the fact that I've already commentated for 150, com- you know, um, there was a really but bad, that,
0: cause I was, uh, I was going to say, sorry, mm, in because no. I was, uh, um, as I was, um, following it on the social stuff, I suddenly saw people laughing about it, an intermediate sprint, which I haven't seen oh, since. Oh, it was brilliant. <laughs> Tell me about it. Well, it was
1: they basically, you know how quite often, and it's normally a welter thing, but, uh, <laughs> Quite often, we commentate to the wrong points the race. So we, yeah, you know, we, we never do, quite yeah. know where the, where the arch is, for the, especially for the intermediate sprint. It always, you know, especially at the Vuelta, they sometimes don't even bother with an arch. You know, it's really hard to pick. Well, basically, <laughs> they, they sprinted as, just as if we were commentating at the Vuelta. <laughs> and it came from the peloton. So the gap was about a minute. So two, two Italian riders um, who were in the breakaway rolled through and took the first two points at the second intermediate sprint. And then the camera cut straight back to the peloton, who were about a minute and a half behind. But, but they were in a full, full, blooded sprint and Sagan was there and Viviani (laughs) was there and Gaviria was there and then they kind of they actually all they'd done was sprint for the 20 kil- kilometre arch and then the the sprint was about 500 metres further up the road and only Gaviria oh. cottoned on and they kind of oh and then he started sprinting again he had a quick look at Viviani and Viviani went come on then let's go and Sagan went oh no guys no oh no you're <laughs> not, go- not white and red <laughs> oh guy oh Gaviria guy you win the sprint so it was quite funny and they had a bit of a laugh about it but it was um uh, bike racing isn't it I mean they won't I don't think they'll make that mistake again but uh <laughs> it, was, it reminded hope, me of that um, thing they do at the Vuelta, David, that every year trips me up, where they put the, to, to satisfy the sponsors, I guess, they put the, on a summit finish that carries King of the Mountains points as well, they put the King of the Mountains arch just about 300 metres back down that climb, don't they? Even though that's not yeah. the King of the Mountains finish line at all, That the finish line is actually the summit finish, the finish line of the but they put the arch somewhere else. That's just so Yeah. That jaz- but uh, yeah, that was quite amusing. Ah, uh, bike crazy. Not much else was yeah. too um... amusing about the yesterday stage. Um, it was pretty. It was pretty dull, except for a really ineffective Vincenzo Albanese from uh, Sean Yates's Ivan Basso's and Alberto Contador's Aolo Cometa team, who are making their Grand oh, Tour. Yeah, I keep forgetting about them. Yeah, well, they're they're here. They're now an Italian team. Actually, they've got a big sponsor, and they want to go world tour in the next three years. Um, AolA was a big Hmm. internet service provider from Varanese, and the CEO of that company is a mate of Ivan Basso's. um, Perfect. And so there used to be a Spanish team, and now they're Italian, and I think they will be the next Italian World Tour team. This is their Giro d'Italia huh. bow, and uh, Vincenzo Albanese, who was their rider in the the most predictable breakaway in the history of road racing yesterday, featuring one Bardiani, one Androni, and one Eolo. Oh, Perfect. That's... Um, Albanese, he picked up the only King of the Mountains yesterday, got the King of the Mountains jersey, and then had a mechanical on the on this uncategorized climb, the last little climb of the day, had a, a rear wheel puncture, and um, it. It was as if i was the aolo cometa mechanic david <laughs> oh, no. i got out, i got out of the eolo uh, um, cometa uh, car and i looked at his rear wheel and i kind of went back to the car quite slowly got what i thought was the right allen key came back are you
0: serious i kind
1: of fiddled with it a bit didn't budge and i kicked it uh, couldn't quite <sighs> Then I went back and got what looked like a Black & Decker, went back casually like that and um, had a little fiddle, couldn't get, just couldn't get the rear wheel, wheel off really. So then I kind of like, oh, reluctantly went back to the car, went to the roof and picked a, picked a random bike off the roof and got that down instead because I just couldn't get the rear wheel, wheel off and gave it to him. And then the best thing of all, this terrible non, non-wheel change that happened was that, um, after all this, Albanese kind of took his little computer off his handlebars and put it on his new, on his new spare bike and then kind of got on and he was on a climb as well as on the foot of a climb and uh, just had to get going on his own and the mechanic didn't even push him off. <laughs> because <laughs> he was it's still just, he was still just stood he was still stood looking at the defunct bike staring at it going oh, oh I'm going to have to when I
0: get back to the hotel I'm going to have to sort this on oh, I, I thinking to himself you know oh, it was um I his client climbed back into the car went back to sleep yeah it was very funny it was uh oh, that was, oh, was amazing then and and then I I did watch the sprints. I mean, yeah. just I jumped there. Yeah, let's what jump. What happened to... with UAE? What happened with oh, UAE? Mate,
1: that was amazing. So I I I, 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 I don't right. know. Actually, I should I should have looked already whether they've kind of said anything the riders. No, um, I've been looking. They have haven't. you? Okay. So what looked yeah. like it happened, they they had they had Gaviria in the, for the sprint, right? But uh, his lead yeah. out train was Max Ricchese, who we know, the Argentinian lead-up man, formerly a quick step, and um, Sebastian yeah. Molano, and a big, big old unit. He's a Colombian rider. But they were kind of, all three of them were separated from one another. No one was on anyone else's wheel. Rikese was in the middle. Gaviria was four or five riders back in around about 10th position. And Molano was kind of right towards the front at about second wheel. And in the final couple of hundred metres, uh, Rikese looked over, he kept looking over to see where Gaviria was, couldn't find him, and I think Ricchese was cooked. He pulled out of the line, pulled the pin, and sort of drifted over to the left-hand side of the road. Um, and then he watched the following unfold, right? He watched Milano, who had no idea where Gaviria was, but knew he kind of wasn't on his wheel, um, kind of start to slow up a little bit as the sprint unfolded. And then he saw Gaviria, who's looking quite good, actually, um, kind of doing a full-on sprint, repositioning sprints to get somewhere close to the front and looking for room up on the right really close to the barriers and he ended up coming right up towards where Milano was beginning to slow down and Ricchese saw this and you can see in one of the shots in particular you see Ricchese getting on the radio and shouting right and I think he's saying to Milano watch out here's here's Gaviria Fernando's there Fernando's there at which point Milano looks to his left the wrong way and because he looks to his left over his shoulder he kind of veers to the right, right? And, at that, and only a little bit but that was precisely the moment at which uh, Gaviria was looking for this non-existent space and the effect of that was that Milano took Gaviria into the barriers And boy, was he lucky. I mean, uh,
0: the Barriers did their job, actually, and held him up close. I was just about to say, it's it's, it's Barriers because he's just slid along them and managed to pull himself back off Raising the skin off his knuckles, potentially, you know. In old school cycling, that would have been handlebars, caught and steel bars and Mm. mass pile-up and everything. Well, on on a day when...
1: on the day when you know a lot of the talk was about Grünewagen, and, uh, and uh, yeah. you know, and and what happened to, Jakobsen. I was watching that
0: whole sprint unfold actually. It's a weird and, sprint, uh, the, yeah. And I mean, Gavira did. Uh, he's been all very diplomatic about that, instead uh, of saying these things happen, etc. There's not much which is true. There's not much you can say about that. But I was watching Grünewagen and thinking, how hard is it going to be for him to come back? Because he was a really aggressive sprinter. You know, he would get in, get in. I wouldn't say trouble, but he, all all sprinters do, they're bargy, they're pushing in the way, they'll find gaps that don't exist. He's got to be like, everyone's just going to be watching him. Everyone needs to already critique him, critic him and just say, you're just, you can't race like that. It's dangerous. It's, it's a, it's, that's a real monkey to have on your back for him. Yeah. And the fact he got third yesterday was pretty impressive, to be fair.
1: Yeah, and he, he got third. It was a very strange s sprint yesterday. Hats off to Tim Malia, by the way, who's had a wonderful mm. campaign in twenty twenty one and brilliant for others. You mentioned him beforehand. Yeah, well he's been been winning lots of races, you know, in a team that are, yeah. they're, they're the, of of the top pro tour team. But I didn't know he was I didn't know that he was capable he's of He's twenty eight. Yeah, he's been around a bit, former Belgian national champion, but I mean he's suddenly mm. But what what you know the lesson I draw from this is I don't
0: know. I don't know who's the fastest sprinter anymore. And I d- well, you know what? And another thing, I was thinking of because it's almost like Calves kind of just taking a gap out of one generation and is coming back in again. Incredible. When you look at it, so the, the way Mark Cavendish was racing at Turkey, and it's we saw this whole new generation of sprinters coming through, and it's been chaotic, but it seems totally open again. Mm. It just doesn't seem to be much organisation. There's kind of mm-hmm. I it's think chaotic. I mean, that's a very very nature of bike racing now. Those sprints are kind of lower priority for teams.
1: Well, that's a very good point. I, I, there are only six opportunities tops for sprinters at the Giro. That's one of them oh, ticked yeah. off. Um, Wednesday is mm-hmm. the next uh, opportunity. Uh, do you know what David Mark Cavendish was offered a start at the Giro? I understand, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, didn't didn't take it. Out. I wonder if he's regretting that he could have been. Right in the thick end of this I, of this race, you know.
0: Uh, yeah, he probably he could have done, but maybe he's just he's going putting all his eggs in the basket for Tour de France, uh-huh. especially when you see that Sam Bennett's leaving to quick Quickstep next year. Mm, yeah, it kind of that could change things a little bit for him as well. If he's, i mean, following him. He's, he's, I don't know. He's just you can never write him off and we were all writing him off and then it's like, then he's he's back doing this sort of thing. Now it's Turkey, but let's see. But I think now is Sam Bennett going? His his status within De quick Quickstep goes up again a notch, a notch. But, and but
1: the the rider he beat four times in Turkey was Jasper Philipson, who is the marquee mm. sprinter for upper St. Fenix. <laughs> who, <laughs> you know, who, for whom Tim Malia is the B sprinter. You know, so kind of, yeah. I know, but join the dots Says and you, you have to say, why not Cav- Cavendish... Kind of Why belongs not? in, in the, the top. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but the fact that Mark Cavendish isn't here, and nor is Sam Bennett, actually had ramifications yesterday for Remco, David. Because as I alluded to, <laughs> this is the first time Quickstep have ever gone to a Grand Tour without a sprinter. Ever. Really? I've been through all of their Grand Tour selections throughout their history, and they've never not gone to a Grand Tour without someone who can sprint. But that is a crazy fact it took me a long time to research <laughs> but um <laughs> but but because they don't have a sprinter for the final because they weren't interested at all in uh, protecting a sprinter in the final they were able to dedicate a few resources uh, to the second intermediate sprint uh, yesterday and ilio ilio Kaysa, as a result of not having to look after a sprinter in the final, was able to lead out Remco Evenepoel with 24 kilometres to go at the second intermediate sprint to try and sprint for bonus seconds, and that's, that was really significant. So Kase was released; didn't have to do a lead out for a sprinter, and the beneficiary of not having a sprinter was Remco. Uh, Remco picked what's, up. What's
0: amazing with this though, bonus second is the fact that he's he's flicked his teammate for for the leader's jersey. It goes there's no gifts," to Koenig. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, I mean they're because now level on they level on GC. Remco had a two second deficit well, to Joao Almeida and just nicked, yeah. nicked those two seconds back.
0: But he's got to be at two hundreds. There was a two hundreds difference in the in the um, time trial, so it's put Evanepol ahead of him. Oh, is he actually so gone it means ahead? Summit finish, so it means that summit finish. Evanepol is now ahead if they finish together.
1: Well, but, it, but it goes. So I think it backs up what you what you interpreted into Evanepol's individual time trial. You know you he's going to win the jury <laughs> yes exactly damn it exactly it. <laughs> yeah you've said it now you've said yeah. it out loud yeah it's it's yeah. gonna happen and likewise so you're right yeah. and equally i don't think we saw much
0: from mark Soler yesterday did we so i'm right as well so. well that's just continuing to happen isn't it yeah. poor old mark Soler. um and um there what else is going on ned
1: Oh, uh, well that's kind of yesterday well, we've got today's stage that's yesterday summed up yeah today today because this is episode this is stage 2.5 let's not forget let's talk uh, let's talk a little bit about today uh, which involves me getting my notes out doesn't it Uh, today's a little bit longer than yesterday and a much more interesting parkour today so we've got a few climbs there are three categorized climbs and uh the in the final 70 kilometers and they're kind of quite punchy actually uh, a lot of the climbs and um there's a, there's a final intermediate sprint as well, which is, uh, if you look at the profile, on top of a climb, uh, a kind of what looks mm. like a two or three kilometres uncategorized climb. So it's, it's tough, and I don't think it'll be anything like a bunch sprint. It's a Sagan day, if that's a shorthand way of saying that kind of thing, but it could be really exciting. It could be wet as well. Uh, the weather's changed here. The clouds have rolled in, and the forecast isn't great. Um, we go from Biela. Uh, the provincial capital of uh, Biella in the province of Biella in uh, Piedmont, which is kind of top left-hand corner of Piedmont, really. Um, and we head southeast uh, in a fairly straight line. Biella is a really lovely place. We should get uh, some shots of the uh, early fifteenth-century Biella Cathedral, which has a kind of amazing-looking. Um, I'm I'm kind of slightly overreaching in architectural terms here. It has an amazing-looking kind of. Uh, Moorish Top. style facade in white stone that's very beautiful, unusual looking cathedral. Not what you'd expect from from kind of Gothic uh, style of, of uh, Italian architecture. Going deep now, Ned. Yeah, I'm going deep, but I'm but I'm, I'm rolling with it. It's the centre of the wool industry. And um, it was uh, severally kind of occupied by the French because it's very close to the French border. And as recently as 1859, so two years before um, the Italian kingdom was uh, declared... It was uh, besieged by the Austrian army in 1859 and then liberated by Garibaldi himself. Uh, but hmm. here's where, I'm not, not straying too far from the Giro d'Italia, here's where it links back to the race. This is I'm t- still talking about the start town now, Biela. Up in the hills around Biella is the Sanctuary of Europa. Okay. Does that mean anything to you, David, in terms of
0: cycling history? Uh, no, it no, it doesn't, actually, unfortunately. No,
1: I'm disappointed. I probably you. should I'm have. Disappointed. I'm disappointed. Sorry, it should It should mean something to you. I'm disappointed by that. Six okay. times it's been a sorry. stage finish at the Giro, the Sanctuary of Europa, uh, which is a, a collection of chapels. A kind of, It's a pilgrimage mm. site up in the hills. Um, and the last time was as recently as 2017, where Tom Dumoulin won the stage in the Malia Rosa to uh, consolidate his lead in the, in the race. Um, that was the year he went on to win it. But famously, in 1999, the uh, stage to the Sanctuary of Europa was Marco Pantani. Uh, I know. Mm, the big comeback. That's where he was. Yeah, insane yep. rampage okay. from uh, yeah. Pantani in the, um, in the pink jersey. But what really interested me about, I tried to kind of read up a little bit about um, uh, what it is that drives the pilgrimage up to the, you know, what's so special about Europa and um, it's this: there is up there a third-century um, what do you call it uh, depiction of uh, the Madonna there that was uh, brought to Italy, what we now consider Italy, brought to this uh, this area by saints. Uh, what was his name? I got on my notes here somewhere. Saint Eusebius. Um, in the third century, and it's this this depiction of Madonna is one of many which are Byzantine in origins, um, mm. and uh, he bought it from the Middle East. That's as exact as I can be, somewhere in the Middle East, uh, in the third century. And Madonna is depicted to be very dark skinned, right? Um, essentially, it's not she's known as she's one of the many black madonnas um, hmm. and this is a thing that i that i didn't realize at all that um, in kind of early third century second century first century even a lot of the uh, a lot of the depiction of madonna probably for extremely good reasons paint madonna as yeah, uh, I was say. as a dark skinned as a black hmm. person and these uh, these madonnas are carry with them in certain kind of strains of Catholic thinking and feeling enormous heft, and they are celebrated oh. um, deified if you like uh, with extreme kind of um, fervor and passion, and many m- kind of they have a higher prevalence of attached sort of m- miraculous thinking to them, so they 're imbued with a great deal more power and there 's a lot of kind of quite interesting thinking and writing about this in kind of a, you know theological. Uh, uh, re- research about the connections made between uh, i 'm uncomfortable saying it, but it is what they how they referred to in theological thinking about the black madonnas and um uh, kind of pre christian pagan uh religious tropes so um so it's really interesting. And it's just a whole thing that I, that I didn't realise. They tried to bring, apparently the, le- the legend is, they tried to bring the Black Madonna down from the hillsides where St Eusebius had left it in the sanctuary, down into the town of Biella at one point. But uh, when they tried to move it, um, she didn't want to be moved from her resting place. And apparently she became unbearably heavy. So nobody could actually move her. Um, That's the kind of... So she wanted to remain up in the hills
0: in the sanctuary of Europa. So hopefully we'll see a bit of that because it's an amazing story. And what I'll do is, in the show notes, I'll put in an article on uh, the history of the Black Madonna of Europa. Brilliant. So I'll put that article in the show notes so people can go and check it out. It's amazing. I'm really conscious when I,
1: you know, because I skim around these, you know, this is the nature of Grand Tours, isn't it? I haven't got long Mm. to kind of absorb what is really quite important and complicated information. Um, So I can only skim the surface. I'm very conscious that we have an erudite um, and intelligent listenership, don't we, David? And a lot of people will know this much better than me. So if people want to put me right on certain things or just um, kind of fill in the gaps, you're very welcome. And if I've kind of got the story slightly wrong, I also apologise, but I'm doing my best. Um, And we finish in a town called Canale today after this series of climbs so it should be a really good race today by the way um very good uh the canale is only five and a half thousand people and uh it's a wine region Roero. Roero wines, red and white wines and also Rorero Arneas Spumante, fizzy wines and it's a beautiful part of the world, surrounded by um, little gorges and canyons and ravines so we've left, where we finished today uh, we've left flat Piemonte and we're into these little um, rolling hills they're not mountains but they're hills and uh, and yeah that's
0: Amazing. Uh, That's it, yeah What are you going to do today? Thank you Ned What's um, your plans? What am I going to do? Medit I'm going to edit this, yeah. um, I'm going to go for a run <clears throat> What? And then I'm going to do What? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing sports again. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And it started. i got to run the West Highland way. Oh yeah. Um, you, what's happened my to wife. your collarbone, dead
1: Because you broke your uh, collarbone yeah, like, like a numpty.
0: Oh, that's really disgust. Oh, you're showing me a I'm scar. Not, it's not healed particularly well. That's really unpleasant. Well, it has, to, it has. it had been. And then I was running, started running last week and was doing, when riding with some friends and did some sprints and the end of the plate popped off, Ugh. so it's sticking. So it's, but uh, it's quite uncomfortable. I was in extreme pain for one day, but um, so, but yeah. So they, I'll, I'll tell all you all about the up? West Highland Way tomorrow. They're going to have to open. Yeah, you they up will now. in two months. <gasps> yeah, I'm going to do it probably afterwards. What's, I'll see how it goes in the next couple of weeks, and I might have to get it out before. But let's see. What's the West but Highland? What's the, sorry, what's the West Highland Way? What are you talking? Oh, wait, I'll tell you all about it tomorrow because I'll get oh. all the details up. It's um, sounds hard. It's, it's 150 kilometer trail. Um, in the West Highlands of Scotland on your bike no running 150 kilometres yeah and considering I, ca- I can't do 3Ks with my wife at the moment who I'm doing it with who's super fit I'm a little bit worried uh, you, be- so you better go out for a run I David a- <laughs> I know it's a- I put it this way the Tour de France this year is going to be boot camp extreme oh no just long yeah <laughs> alright good luck looking forward uh, to July yeah, very good see ya